Good morning, church. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Thank you, Gene. I mean, I... Quick confession, I'm thankful uh, that we have some of the resources that God gives us that as we went through COVID, we were able to uh, continue and right in the middle of like things being shut down, we were able to equip our families uh, to worship in their homes and to give them worship guides and to do all these little things that were helpful. Can I just tell you, I'm so excited to be back in a position where we're reading the word and it's not just on a video going out everywhere. I, I love that. That's just such a good thing and that's a blessing. And I'm not going to say anything better than what has just been read. But my hope is to begin to walk you through that, slow your mind down, and open up your thoughts to the truths of God's word. So Jesus has been with his disciples. Matthew's been 
uh, giving us a, a really incredible chapter here. And if you remember last week in the first part of chapter 16, Jesus is warning his disciples about the compromised teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so he's giving them warning. This is dangerous. You need to be on guard against their teaching. And now, the next thing that Matthew is going to present is a question from Jesus. Who do you say that I am? Now, we know in context because we look back in hindsight what Jesus is getting at. But it it would do us well to kind of just pause and think about that question. That's not really a simple question. If I looked at you and said, who are you? What, what would you say? Would you tell me your name? But you're not really your name, right? Would you tell me what you do? But you're not really what you do. Would you tell me where you're from? <laughs> By the way, I get home last week, and my wife's like, what's wrong with you? I said, what do you mean? She goes, you said carbon dioxide. And I said, isn't that it? She goes, first, it's dioxide, not deoxide and two why would you emphasize deoxide I'm like because I'm from the mountains and that's what we do I don't know I'm from East Tennessee I say things Mike gives me a hard time because I I can't say at and I instead I say it with the e at and he's always on me about this I'm from the south but what that's not really who I am right I mean, that doesn't define me. If someone asks you, who are you, how would you even begin to answer that question? And that's what Jesus is asking of himself. Who do you say I am? And so his disciples, they, they might be from the southern parts of Israel too because instead, watch what they did. They took that passive roundabout approach. You know, the kind where they say, well, some say. Like he asked them, but they go, some say. And then they list off, you know, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. And Jesus doesn't even, like, give that any attention. He just moves right on. He goes, no. But who do you say that I am? I'm asking you. One day standing before Jesus, there will be many who will say something like, my grandmother My mother, my father, my husband, my wife, my pastor, my church. But the question will come back to them, but who do you say that I am? It's a really powerful question. And so when Jesus asked this time, Peter jumps out and boldly proclaims our big truth this morning. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's hard for us to just quickly summarize the depths of Peter's declaration. And we're going to be a little quick this morning because in a few minutes I'm going to have some elders join me. We're going to have a little bit of an elder conversation and talk about the season ahead for us as a church. But Peter's declaration is profound. See, Before their answers, when the disciples are giving them back all these answers, you know, the people say, they're saying, people say, you know, you're someone special. 
But Peter is saying, no, I believe you are the Savior, God in flesh. You determine what is special. See, Peter is declaring that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan. That although sin had separated us from God, and that there was no chance of us getting back to a right standing before God. There was no chance of us fulfilling the law, of us being holy as he is holy. Jesus sent the Lamb of God, he sent his son to pay the penalty for our sin so that through faith in him we might be redeemed, made new, reconciled, made right before God. All of it, all of it, 100% in Christ, in Jesus. He is the one who does the work. It is his holiness, it is his righteousness that we stand in. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so Peter's declaration is profound. And in verse 17, Jesus answered him, blessed are you. Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus' response back to Peter is, Peter, you have been blessed. You've been blessed because you couldn't discern this on your own. This isn't something you just figured out. Peter, left to yourself, you didn't just reason yourself here. No, Peter, the Father has revealed this to you. And, and going back to last week when we were talking about our doctrinal foundation, this is a good passage to just let that reality sink in, especially for those of us who are in Christ Jesus and are called to be his ambassadors, to make Jesus known to our family, our friends, our coworkers, and the nations. It is the Father who makes himself known. It is the spirit that changes lives. Our responsibility in this is the proclamation of the gospel. And in verse 18 through 19, Jesus celebrates with Peter. It's this big truth that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the son of God, that has been made known to you, Peter, will establish my church my people, my followers, and nothing, nothing will defeat it. It will prevail. It will be victorious. And so Jesus is saying that his kingdom is being revealed. And blessed be you, Peter, because God has found it fit to reveal this to you at this time. And it is this big truth, that is this revelation that is being made known to you and the disciples that is going to be the spark and the beginning of the church. It's an incredible moment. And in verse 20, he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. I mean, this is an incredible moment. Right? I mean, especially if you're Peter. 
It's just an incredible moment. In 2022, next year, we'll, we're going to be preaching through First and Second Peter. Really excited about that, to just slow down and go verse by verse through First and Second Peter. And as we've kind of planned that and looked ahead, my mind has been in Peter. And Peter talks so much about suffering. And so my mind has been there. And I, I want to own something. The text that we're looking at this morning the implications, the big ideas of the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the implications of that are vast. They're life-changing. And there are many that we could look at. But there's been something that's been happening in me, and I'm owning this, that as I've been looking at Peter and I've been looking at this understanding of suffering and its connection to the gospel, its connection back to the Jesus follower, that as I went through this text, I could not help but be fascinated and taken back by the big ideas, the implications of suffering in this gospel proclamation that is happening here in Matthew chapter 16. And so I want to take a few minutes and I want you to see that. And I want to focus our big ideas around that theme because going back to last week it is a prevalent theme it is a dangerous theme see we have bought in to the compromised teaching the compromised thinking the false teaching the false thinking that we are not called to suffer now, oh, I know if I say it, you go, oh, yeah, we suffer. No, 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 listen. I mean really. That like real suffering. God would not call us into that. He wouldn't set us apart to, I mean, really suffer. And it is a leaven, a poison that is splitting our families, hindering discipleship. And thwarting gospel proclamation. See, church, listen, the gospel calls you and I to suffer. Frankly, it calls us to die. The gospel calls us to suffer and not to pursue suffering. It's not about our pursuit of suffering, it's our identity in suffering. See, Peter says it this way, 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. And the implications of this are incredibly practical. This week I, I had the privilege to be a part of a wedding ceremony, and it's, it's such a beautiful thing. But I'll just tell you, in the church, it's just way too common to be dealing with divorce after divorce, to go pursue couple after couple. And in the reality of our very marriages, we struggle to realize that God may have called you to suffer in your marriage. He may have put you in your marriage and it might very well be the most difficult ministry 
and gospel proclamation you will live out in all your days. That God would call you to suffer and that it might not get better. That's such a common thing. It's like, I've been in this for 10 years and it's not getting any better and I've lost hope and I'm done. I just want out. And underneath that is an idea, a doctrine, that God wouldn't want me to continue in my suffering. That my marriage exists for me. By the way, you can fill it in with a different example if you'd like. But that it's there for my comfort, for my good. I don't exist for him. He exists for me. And he's given me this for my blessing, for my comfort in this day at this time. See, you might just suffer in your marriage. And if you think God wouldn't call you to that suffering, if you think your marriage exists for you, not only will you greatly struggle But you're really going to struggle with Jesus being the Christ. You'll end up pursuing and proclaiming a stumbling block. A false gospel. Listen, a satanic message. You say, what are you talking about? You can see it in this text. In the next few moments... I want to bring that out for us. Our first big idea, Jesus the Christ was called to suffer, die, and be raised. Verse 21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now remember, looking back, we have the hindsight and the revelation of scripture to give us context. But I want you to understand what's just happened. Jesus has just affirmed Peter's declaration that he is the Christ. That he is God in flesh. That he is the savior of the world. The one who will redeem God's people. And now he is saying to them, he is giving definition and doctrinal clarity to what that means and what that looks like. But he's saying, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And Peter, being Peter, and being like many of us, says what probably the rest of the guys are thinking too. Because this wasn't their definition of the Christ. See, it seemed impossible to Peter that Jesus could suffer and die. It was incompatible, inconsistent, in contradiction with his definition of the Christ. See, Peter's doctrine was compromised. And that helps us set up the next big idea. Yes, Jesus the Christ was called to suffer, die, and be raised, but watch. To proclaim otherwise is to proclaim the message of Satan. Verse 22, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. You're the Christ. 
You're the son of God. You don't suffer. You have victory. You don't suffer. You're the Christ. You have life. You don't die. Verse 23, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus says to Peter, your your thinking is wrong and counter to the gospel. Your thinking is counter to my mission, Peter. Your thinking is a hindrance, a stumbling block. Peter, what you're saying is of Satan not of the Spirit. And it leads us to the next big idea here, and I want to make sure you see it. Jesus' followers are called to suffer, die, and be raised. Not only is Jesus called to this, but his followers are called to follow in his example, to suffer, die, and be raised. It says, then... Verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, after rebuking Peter, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, die to self, take up his cross, suffer, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We've tried to point out this theme of what authentic salvation looks like as we've walked through Matthew. And again and again, you see repentance defined in saving faith as death to self and life in Christ. See, if you think Jesus is being harsh with Peter, you need to consider what is happening in this moment. See, Peter's rebuke of Jesus' suffering is a rebuke of the gospel message. It's a rebuke of Jesus' sacrificial and redemptive love. The idea of it, the notion of it. It is a rebuke of the Jesus', or really of Jesus' followers, who in faith are called to die to self, Take up their cross, suffer, and follow him. See, it's a rejection to all of that, as if it's unnecessary. As if that's not the definition of the Christ. So Jesus' followers are called to suffer, die, and be raised. Jesus makes that clear. But to proclaim otherwise is to proclaim the message of Satan. Because what we're talking about is ultimately the gospel. Verse 26, Jesus says, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? See, listen, a gospel that bypasses suffering is a false gospel. It's a false gospel. A gospel that does not identify with Christ in suffering is a false gospel. 
It's a compromised gospel. The gospel is built, founded on God's sacrificial love that he would send his son to suffer and die and be born, raised again. That you and I might suffer and die and be born, raised again. It's why in baptism we see a picture of being buried, dying to self, and raising up out of those waters new again. See, the gospel cannot bypass suffering. And a gospel that attempts to, that's just a feel-good illusion that promises worldly gain. It's offering you something instead of the Christ. It's offering you something instead of his redemptive, sacrificial love. It's a satanic message. It's a joy or a meaning or a purpose apart from Jesus. It says you can abide in Jesus without really dying to self. And Jesus is saying, if you gain the whole world that way, but lose your soul, what do you have? See, listen church, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may be glorified with him. That's what Paul says to the Romans. Listen to what Peter says. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. As the team comes up, I wanna lead you in a time of response, but I wanna be clear. Jesus is the Christ the Son of God. He is life. All meaning, all value is found in him. That is not in contradiction with suffering. That is not in contradiction with sacrificial love. That is not in contradiction for laying down your life in obedience and in worship. Instead, the very gospel teaches us that Jesus is our example. And if he, the Christ, the Son of God, would lay down his life, would suffer, so that you and I might live. How is it that we can confuse the Christian life and not know 
that we have been called and set apart to identify in his suffering. To do so is to identify with the gospel. To do so is to identify with the Savior. And so as we this morning gather and as we gather to worship as God's redeemed people, the church, as he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? May God give us wisdom and open our eyes to see him more deeply, to see him truly. He is the God who loved us so much so that he would suffer, that he would die, that through him we might have the grace bestowed on us through faith to be redeemed. Church, the gospel is not for your comfort in this present age. The gospel is the story and the testimony of the redemptive love of Jesus Christ who would suffer, sacrifice, and lay down his life for us. Let us not forget it and let us not dull it down to something less. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are a great God. You are worthy of our praise. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his example. May we be convicted. Make yourself known to us this morning. And may we respond in worship and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.